0: Hi, everyone, and welcome to Gay A, a podcast about sobriety for the LGBT community and our allies. I'm your host, Steve Bennett Martin. I am an alcoholic, and I am grateful for my sponsor, Ken. As of this recording, I am 612 days sober, and today we're welcoming a guest to share their experience, wisdom, and hope with you. Welcome, Dallas.
1: Thank you very much.
0: Yes, why don't you introduce yourself to the listeners?
1: Sure. Dallas and I live in Charlotte, North Carolina. I am father of two adult children now, and that's about it. My full time job is in nonprofit. I find housing for homeless veterans here in this area and just started a coaching business for
0: um, recovery
1: coaching. Yeah.
0: Excellent. And tell us about a little bit about what your favorite hobbies or things to do are.
1: Yeah. Hobbies, I like to read i'll write a lot i'm an outdoor person so always out doing something outside hiking or swimming or kayaking or whatever i also just do a lot of metaphysical things meditation is a hobby i'm learning to read the akashic records and just all kinds of woo-woo stuff like that
0: (laughs) very cool my husband's into all of that so he would definitely (laughs) love that more yeah. and why don't we jump into it and tell us what your journey with addiction and recovery was like
1: yeah so for me i what my drug of choice was crystal meth and i waited until i was 39 years old to try any type of drug and crystal meth was the first type of drug i ever tried and uh, tried it and then just became completely addicted to it immediately and was in active addiction for about three years, and in that three years, at the time, so I had right before I got into my addiction, I had graduated with my doctorate and was working with for a law school, and so it was doing really well, making a lot of money. And so, within three years, I lost the job and got evicted. The kids and I were evicted from our home. Car was repossessed and i was arrested four times (laughs) so that was all in the three-year period which i have found now that that's actually a pretty common story Mm -hmm. among among gay men especially older gay men that come out later in life so i had come out at 36 so it took three years of kind of waffling around until, and then i found the drug and so That's kind of the overall broad story of it. So I was homeless for a while and had to call my mother from West Virginia to come and just come and get me because I had at that point lost all my quote unquote friends and was living kind of under a tree for a while and different little little sketchy things like that and so she took me to West Virginia to get sober which is probably the worst one of the worst places to get sober And so things got a little worse and I ended up coming back to Charlotte and I had already had an APV out for my arrest so I just turned myself in and that was the that was my sober date uh, which my sober date is August 4th 2018 so it's been four and a half years now.
0: Excellent and how has your life changed these past four years?
1: Yeah I <laughs> think Quite a bit. It's for me, what I had to do was just when the, we when I got rid of the substance, it just made everything more raw for me. And the, the, the issues that led up, up to men were present and I had to deal with them. And so to be honest with you, I've done so much work in the past four and a half years. I had to trace it back. <laughs> I traced my problems all the way back till I was a situation when I was four years old. And I was four, and I remember I had seen—this is funny—but I had seen Dolly Parton on the TV, and I was in this room of the house, and I was pretending on to be performing on a stage, and I had—it was on my tiptoes like I was on high heels, and I had this audience, and I was just dancing around. And my mom came in the room, and just immediately started just yelling at me and what am i doing and put your feet down and you're not a girl and just berated me and you know i i, I didn't realize then but it was just implanted in and etched in my brain at that moment that i had to hide who i was and i wasn't normal and i got i, I took on this belief that i wasn't enough and i wasn't good and showing who i am was was bad And that's the kind of result. I also started really searching for affection and love and connection because I wasn't getting it. And so I traced it all the way back to there. And and so that showed up in in my life. And so I was married. I I married not one but two women. And the second one, I had the the children. And by thirty six, I was just miserable and decided to come out. And and when I came out. I didn't know anyone who was gay. The only thing I knew about gay culture was will and grace. And so I just had this vision that, and and this belief that I could finally be myself and that all my problems were going to be answered. I wouldn't be depressed anymore. Everything would be fine. And so I came out and I immediately left my wife within two weeks and just injected myself into the gay community and, what happened was very different than what I thought was going to happen. And I, you know, I remember walking into a gay bar for the first time. And actually that was the first bar I was ever in because I lived such a straight American Christian life um, that that was the first bar I walk, ever walked in. And I just had this vision walking in. I was like, here I am, you know, just kind of looking around like who's going to greet me and where's the rainbows and the glitter and all this stuff. And it was just like, it wasn't like that. It was kind of like, you know, some side eyes and some comments. And I was just, all of a sudden, everything imploded in, in me because I, I I left crying. I was like, I still don't know where I'm supposed to be. And I'm still, I still can't be myself. And, I, you know, nothing changed. <laughs> and that was just, that was hard for me to, to process that nothing had changed, even though I had, I was trying to be who I really was. And I just didn't realize that, you know, that I had things to, to heal from. I had this fear of abandonment, this, this rejection and all these the stories that I had about not being myself and not being good enough. And that's what I had to overcome in the past four and a half to five years. And that's been, that's been a, a very long journey, but when I, came out and and realized that nothing was going to change that's when i decided or not decided that's when i started realizing that i could get instant gratification instant love and acceptance and connection through sex and so i discovered grinder and that's when i went you know like on a rampage of sex and i became a sex addict it was just the only way i could feel like someone approved of me and it's the only way i felt at home and so but the problem was that, you know, it was just a one time thing usually and I would never see them again. But then when I tried Crystal Meth for the first time, he stayed for four days. And I was like, Wow, I have finally found the answer here. <laughs> this is what makes them stay for me. And I had all this money and all this and you know, and all of a sudden I was just in it. And I didn't realize, of course, at the time that why was why they were staying, but They would all stay and they would come and it was men that i never would have thought that i could attract before and it was just this whole new world for me that at first i thought i could do recreationally and of course it didn't work out that way and i started using iv using it intravenously and that's when it went really downhill and i tried to to live a life that that seemed fun um You know, I would be doing a drug deal at 4 a.m. and then have a presentation at 8 a.m. to the board. And I just thought it was so risque at the time. But, of course, I was let go from that job pretty quickly because in my mind, I thought no one noticed. But, of course, it was ridiculous. Yeah. So, So in the past four and a half years, I have, it's been a journey back to myself and a journey to really figure out what it means to love yourself because I kept getting told throughout my my even before math by gay men and, and by people is you, you don't love yourself you can't be alone you, you learn to love yourself I don't I, I have to be talked to like a two year old like I don't know what that means to love yourself I didn't know where to start and and so you know it was talking about spiritual experiences so there was a day when I finally you know I had been from homeless and one of my kids back and so I got the money to Get us a house, down the deposit, the rent, and I worked and I hired and I went through rehab and I went through drug court and I got my charges expunged and dropped. And you know, I had everything built up to a point, and then life was normal again. And I remember walking into the kitchen and seeing the dishes, and all I could think about was texting my my plug and trying to use again because normal life was just scary to me and the pressure of making the bills and I was like I had a a mission for a while and then when I got there it was like this is uncomfortable for me because it's normal and boring Mm -hmm. and I just started crying and I was like I don't what am I going to do now you know and so I just ran outside and I ran into the woods and I was just standing there and I was just like asking anybody was like what is next for me like what can I how can I break myself of this because I knew I was going to relapse. And it was just like this voice said to me, and I looked over and this voice said to me, look at this tree that's dying. That's what you have to do. You have to die to everything you've ever known about yourself because every story and every belief that's been given to you and through conditioning through your life is untrue. And underneath all of that is who you really are. And I just like fell to the ground and I was just like bawling and crying. I was like, finally an answer, (laughs) you know, because this is what it means. And So I just started peeling away layers of stories that I'm not, you know, about me not being good enough and me not, I can't share myself and I am, you know, I'm this and I'm that. And that turns into fear of rejection, fear of abandonment. And so just had to peel away layer by layer by layer until I finally figured out and and confronted who I really am underneath all of that, and that's been my journey for the last four and
0: a half years. Excellent. And with all of that self discovery over these past few years, what's it also been like trying to navigate the gay or the queer community after spending so much time of it, kind of having it entwined with sex and drugs? Yeah,
1: yeah. You know, it's been, Charlotte, North Carolina is a big city, but it's not. And so, you know, I had. It it was challenging at first when I started to put myself out there because I already had kind of a reputation of being a meth user, and then I would go out and see people and places and you know houses and streets that just reminded me and it just triggered me of using, and so I actually closed myself off from dating like two and a half to three years. And just really focused on the kids, you know, because I had to rebuild our relationship as well. You know, The last time I got out of jail, they they picked me up. And they were the only ones that would answer my call after that time. But they picked me up and just said to me, like, we need a parent back. We need you back. So you have to make a choice here. It's us or this drug. And so I did spend a lot of time working on our relationship and, and just being there, just being present for them as they went through their the last part of their teenage years and so the dating part I've just started back and so one one factor of this is that in the midst of all of the the Matthews I also contracted HIV and so there at first when I first went into the the dating scene I still carried a lot of guilt and shame and I would open up with Okay, well I'm a former meth user and I have HIV. Do you still want to talk? <laughs> I and mean, that would be how I would open up conversations on dating apps. Some people took it okay and some people didn't, but what I was doing was just presenting my shame and opening up with that and that it was all about me and the fact that I hadn't overcome that yet. And and honestly, I got rejected quite a bit because there's you know, there's just some people who haven't been around drugs and they don't really understand what that means. And there's such a stigma with crystal meth. And then the HIV part adds another dimension to dating where, you know, there's some, there's a lot of men who haven't done the research or they have done the research and they still feel uncomfortable. And so there's some rejection there too. And so rejection is hard, was really hard for me to take it in any way, shape or form. And so after that, Fourier, I step back again. And I thought, I'm just going to be alone. Um, And then I just realized that, you know, I am who I am and I'm going to try to be the person that I would want to date and I'll attract the right people that way. And so that's what I've done, but I've still, I'm not dating. It's, I, it's, I just, I've just been trying to be very careful about boundaries and there's certain things that I won't do, which is one thing is, you know, I want someone who's sober. I don't because of my sex addiction and the triggers. I want to wait for sex. There's certain things that I, you know, I do lay out there in the beginning, and it seems like so far there, you know there's been a, only a few kind of interested takers. <laughs> yeah. And so I, I don't know if the blocks on dating is has anything to do with me and my beliefs about myself, or if it's just the fact that it just takes some time. Yeah. I'm not sure.
0: Well, I hope it works out when it's meant to for you. you yeah. Like a great catch. And then,
1: yeah. And I'm not really, I don't really seek it. I'm not really pining away about it either, which is a good place to be for me
0: for yeah, once. That's so. awesome. And tell me more about what it was like rebuilding those relationships like with your family.
1: Well, so my mom took a while because, you know, when she picked me up and brought me back to West Virginia to be sober, I just really lost her trust and did a lot of sketchy things and i had to you know i i had to just basically prove to her through my actions that i was was better there wasn't any words that would help there wasn't any letters or you know great reunion it was just after six to eight months of me supporting the kids and you know building my life back that she just came out of the woodwork and said can I come down? Can I come see you? You know, and so then we had, then we had a long talk. The the kids was, it was easier, but for me, I came at it in a way from a place of guilt too, based on what I had, you know, I had put them through and what I had exposed them to. And so a lot of my parenting decisions was letting them do kind of rule, rule the roost kind of Just for lack of better words, come from it from a place of well, I'm just lucky to have them, you know, and that wasn't the right that wasn't the right way to be because it still didn't show them that I was a parent. So when I realized where it was all coming from, this guilt, I started being a parent and just being present. Like I said, I mean, the best thing I could have ever done for them is just be here, be here for them in case they need me. I've just There's nothing specifically I needed to do was just be present, you know, because while I was in active addiction, I would disappear for several days or, you know, be held up in my bedroom for several days. I mean, there's, you know, a lot of a lot of stuff like that happened while I was on active addiction that they, you know, they ended up having to go back to their moms a lot. And so the repair, when you're repairing relationships, for me, it's not a matter of effort. It's just a matter of changing yourself and everything else comes along
0: with it naturally. I can relate to that. I know I had a lot of rebuilding with my husband when I got sober, especially, but also other family members too. We're just like, you know, cause when, when we're in active addiction, we'll say whatever. So they've heard it all before. Yeah. So yeah. you'd have to yeah show by actions. Excellent. And what are some things you do in your daily life today to help keep you sober?
1: Yeah. Well, I, I have for me routine is good. I have a morning routine. I, I use this. So I wrote, I wrote down and I I add to it and change it as I go, but what my best, best self would look like in every facet. So as a parent, this is what it looks like as a money manager, as a friend, you know, this is I wrote down what my best self would be. And so I read that every morning and I evaluate the previous day to see where I May have missed the mark, or where I filled it, or you know, how am I doing in terms of living my best life and as my best self? And then I record a video to for myself just to track my my progress because I'm really, I'm really determined to stay on track. But also because I, I have a tendency, I've always had a tendency, of just losing momentum and not being consistent with with resolutions or, or resolve to be better or whatever, and so. This I, I just challenged myself at first to do it hundred days, and then after that, now it's just becoming natural. And so I, that keeps me that keeps me on track and aligned with who I want to be. But also, I use a lot of breath work. I use a lot of centering, heart math, which is just breathing through your heart and feeling an emotion that's that's strong. Breathing that emotion through your heart kind of brings me back to center. You know, I still get I still have triggers, but at this point, I I know how to pull myself back. Again, back to that. So, the thing about crystal meth, too, is that, and I've, I've talked to so many, I've made everything public, too, for the past four and a half years. Everything's been on all social media for me. And so, I get messages almost every day on this morning from men, gay men around the world who are either struggling with it or they're with partners and they're doing it behind the back or whatever. And, or, they're past it and they can't get past the memories, the the using dreams and the memories. And that's the that's the hard part because your dopamine is so high on this drug that unlike, you know, if you're drunk, sometimes you black out and you don't remember what happened. With crystal meth, you remember every vivid detail and you remember everything that happened and how it felt. You know, and it's usually always around sex. And so those it's kind of like major milestones in your life when your dopamine's high, like when you graduate high school where you have your baby or you know, a wedding or something like that. It's etched in your memory. And the same thing happens with memories during a, a active addiction to crystal meth. So to get those out of your head, it's it takes some work. <laughs> it takes some work and it takes some time. And anything can trigger it. And it's in a lot of times it happens at night when you're when your your subconscious kind of takes over and a lot of, you know, many times I'll wake up and think I'm used because I'm dreaming that I'm using. And then if it, your body feels like it and you have all the physical symptoms and then you have not and then you just want to. But that's been, that has been a major concern for me, but also the, probably the top concern I hear from men who come to me for help is that how do I stop these, these memories? Because, and why are they so, you know, why are they so good? You know, why are these memories so fun? And because they they do seem fun at the time, you just have to retrain your brain to to understand and rewrite those memories and understand that it really wasn't as fun as you thought it was.
0: Yeah. And if someone's struggling today, what's one piece of advice you would give them? Yeah,
1: we, I always try. What I try to tell newly sober people in general is to to be gentle with yourself. And there's so much shame wrapped around you anyway when you first get sober and then you take the substance away like I said everything's raw and then you add to that all the pressure that's kind of put on someone who's newly sober and they're scared to death to relapse. And I just I just tell I try to tell tell men to be gentle with yourself and don't be that scared of relapse because every relapse is a chance to relearn, rejuvenate, reset and regroup and resolve. And it's something needed to be cleared out. And so be thankful that that cleared out. It's hard to, to realize that in the moment. But, you know, we, we put, sometimes we put these standards on these really sober people and we make them do all these things with the steps and the book and the meeting. You know, we make them do a lot of things, which is good to some degree. But the other, on, on the other side, for some people like me, when I was getting, when I was getting sober, was so much more pressure and shame added on and reminded me of my religious trauma so it's like triggered a whole other part of me so my advice would be to just be gentle give yourself time give yourself grace and just breathe
0: yeah excellent and do you have any favorite quotes or lyrics or mantras to live
1: well i yeah actually have a different mantra pretty much every day and i post it on social media but one that has always been tried and true for me is be still and know. It's always worked for me. It just helps me, like I said, come back to center. It's just to be still, get my thoughts still, get my anxiety still, because anxiety comes for me, comes from either ruminating on the past or futuring. And so when you come to your center and you stay there, it kind of melts away that anxiety and that stress.
0: Excellent. Thank you so much. And you mentioned your socials. What are they and where can they find you?
1: So Instagram is Dallas Bragg and same for Facebook and TikTok. <laughs> yeah, I think TikTok too. But Facebook and Instagram mainly, it's just my name, Dallas Bragg, D-A-L-L-A-S-B-R-A-G-G. Yeah.
0: Excellent. I'll be sure to add that into the show notes. <laughs> so listeners, you can just scroll on over and hit a follow. <laughs> Thank you so much, Dallas. It's been a pleasure getting to know you better. Thank
1: you very much. I appreciate this a
0: lot. Yes, and stick around for our post show. But in the meantime, thank you listeners for tuning in to another episode of Gay A. Make sure you're following us wherever you're listening right now so you can get these new episodes when they come out every Thursday. And if you're interested in sharing your story, reach out to me at gayapodcast at gmail.com or on Instagram at gayapodcast. And you can head on over to our Patreon page today for this post show we're about to record as well as ones for every episode as well. Until next time, stay sober, friends.